Hi, my name is Tracy Carpenter and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, welcome. We are glad that you tuned in. We believe that the church is a family and not just an event, and so we would love to connect with you. Uh, there are a few ways that you can do that. The first being um, through our website, which is www.restoredtemecula.church, um, and then click on contact. We also have a mobile app that you can get in the Apple or the Android app stores, and through that app you can see past um, messages, upcoming events, and other ways for us to connect. Um, so with all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. Okay, so this morning is going to be a really wonderful morning. Um, anybody here like getting gifts? Raise your hand. Anybody in here hate getting gifts? Really? Okay, we need to talk. <laughs> we need to talk. If you hate getting gifts, there's something there that Jesus needs to redeem and heal, okay? Uh, in all seriousness, you're going to be given a gift this morning, and it's not like Oprah. You get a car, and you get a car. It's not what's happening. Um, what's happening is something way more important, honestly, way more powerful, way more spiritual, way more heavenly. Uh, let me read to you a passage out of Ephesians chapter 4. This is the Apostle Paul writing uh, to Christians. Look at my tiny little Bible. Usually I have the hands-free mic. Not this morning. This is what Paul says to Christians in an ancient city called Ephesus. He says this, And he, the he there is Jesus, gave, there's the gift, right? He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. So there's the purpose. He literally describes gifts that are essentially people gifted in a unique spiritual way for a purpose, and that is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. I don't know if you know this, but you're, you, have a, you have a high calling, friend. If you're in Christ in this room, you have a really high calling, the work of ministry. Ministry, ministry is simple. It literally means loving people the way that God would, okay? So equipping the saints, that's the people of God, for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with the stature measured by Christ's fullness. Here's the big idea. God gives gifts to people to then be delivered through them for the benefit of others to equip those people for ministry, i.e. loving God or loving people the way that God would. And so uh, our very own Andrea Bombs is going to preach here in just a moment. And God really has given her a teaching gift. Um, we've recognized this over the years. We want to support not just Andrea and the development and the deployment of her spiritual gifts, but you, all of us, all of us created in God's image. Those of us who have, been, who have received God's spirit, we now have like this radical relation. We get to relate to God as sons and daughters. It's this beautiful, incredible, deep, familial bond that's eternal with God and with each other. And in the midst of that, God doesn't just pour out our spirit to adopt us into his family, but he pours out his spirit into us through various gifts 
to equip saints for the work of ministry, i.e. loving other people the way that God would love them. And so hear me. Uh, One of the things that matters to us as a household of faith, as a church family, is identifying the ways that God is gifting us, has gifted us, and is gifting us, fanning those gifts into flames, doing whatever we can to support each other, and seeing those gifts strengthened and equipped and then deployed. And so I want you to receive the gift that God has for you this morning. And I would argue that it's probably going to happen through another person in this room. And the cool thing is we have a living picture of that this morning with Andrea. She is a, a, a wife, a mother, a gospel community leader. We trust her. We love her. Um, and she really has, I believe, been gifted by God with a teaching gift um, to help us and serve us and equip us for the ministry that God's called each of us to, to love other people the way that he would. You with me? So without further ado, would you just love on your sister as I invite her up? Andrea, come on up, girl. All right, Kylo, her amazing husband, is going to pray for his bride, and then we'll get, we'll get popping. Check. Just want to make sure. <laughs> Isn't this fun? Okay. Father, thank you again for this opportunity for my wife to be able to um, use her gift in a beautiful way. Uh, I pray that you would speak um, just mightily through her. Um, I agree she has an amazing gift, and I'm so grateful we're in a place where she's able to use it. Um, pray that you would just anoint her now. Um, spirit speak. Use her um, in a way that only you could, and um, may we all benefit from it. Um, just calm her mind, and uh, just speak now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Okay. Good morning. We have a very big passage to go through this morning, so I'm just going to jump right in. Um, (laughs) I'm going to pray first, though, (laughs) because that would be wise. (laughs) Uh, Father, I just thank you again for this morning. Um, I thank you for your patience with me and even in you sharing these words with me months ago and me not wanting to teach specifically on this passage. Um, but you waited for me, um, and you were gracious with me. So I thank you for that. Um, I ask that this morning would be an invitation to receive your love for us and to enter into like the abundant life that you really do have for us. So be with us. Um, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Soren Kirkgaard said, Now with God's help, I shall become myself. And Henry Nouwen said, from the moment we claim the truth of being the beloved, so that is somebody that is loved by God, we are faced with a call to become who we are. This made me think of when I turned 18. You turn 18 and all of a sudden you are deemed an adult. Do you act like an adult right when you are deemed an adult? (laughs) No. Um, One of Kyla's favorite words right now is adulting. So if you (laughs) want to use that in any form of conversation with him, you'd greatly appreciate it. So adulting is this term (laughs) that because you are an adult, you now have to do 
adult-like things. You are deemed an adult before you do adult-like things, right? You have to become the adult even though you are labeled an adult. So it's that same concept. We are loved by God. Is this okay? Okay. Um, We are loved by God, but we are becoming the beloved. So he deems us loved, but we have to become who we already say that he, or what he says we are. That's kind of where we're going with this passage this morning. We're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. In my Bible, this passage is titled, Growth in the Faith, if you want to make your way there. Um, I think I could confidently say that most of us here like the idea of growth. If you did a quick self-help search, a self-help book search on Amazon, 70,000, over 70,000 books come up in the self-help book section. Number one in all of Amazon right now, number one bestseller, is The Atomic Habits, an easy and proven way to build good habits and break bad ones. How to Win Friends and Influence People is still going strong. They're currently at number 12 for the 145th week. There's also Know Your Worth, How to Stop Overthinking, Saved by the Siesta. I particularly want to read that one. It's all about naps, and I'm here for it. Um, And currently... One that I have on my wish list is At Your Best, How to Get Time, Energy, and Priorities Working in Your Favor. Summer reading. <laughs> so there's an ache that we all feel, we rec- whether we recognize it or not, that, that we are not what we should be. Hence the whopping $11.3 billion spent within the self-help industry in 2021. And that was down because of COVID. (laughs) None of this is innately bad. But these books will never be able to deliver what they promise. They will never be able to make us enough or righteous. We yearn to morph into something better, something greater, because the possibility of transformation, us changing, is essentially the essence of hope. So let's jump in. 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 1. And because this is such a huge passage, I'm just going to break it down as we go along. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith equal to ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So first thing that this portion of the verses tells us is inner righteousness is a gift from God. It has to be received. You can't earn it. It's it's a gift, so it can only be received. The first step in growing in the faith of becoming who we are and who we are meant to be is an act of receiving. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. 
So I am loved. I am justified. That means I no longer have to prove my worth. I'm forgiven. I belong. These are the new truths that I live in and by. I am right with God. Verse 3. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. His divine power. So there are two different types of power. There's divine power and there's willpower. So willpower is the ability to control one's actions, emotions, or urges. To control. So willpower does not have the power to actually change anything in you at a heart level. It is strictly controlling outward behaviors or emotions. Jeremiah tells us that our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all things. And Isaiah 57:20 tells us the wicked are like the stormed tossed sea. For it cannot be still, and its water churns up mire and muck. What does this mean? Our hearts are constantly churning up mire and muck. That's all they can do. Think about in an ocean, when the currents go through, what is it churning up? It's just constantly churning up the mire and the muck and the sand and the dirt and the dead things and the sea kelp and all the things. Like, it's the same thing over and over Unless somebody comes in and actually changes what is at the center, it's going to continue cycling the same things. Richard Foster says, Willpower will never succeed in dealing with the deeply ingrained habits of sin. Willpower has no defense against the careless word, the unguarded moment. The will has the same deficiency of the law. It can only deal with externals. It is incapable of bringing about the necessary transformation of the inner spirit. This reminded me of Will Ferrell in the office when he takes over Michael Scott's position as manager at Dunder Mifflin Paper Company. They, he used to be obese. And he struggles with wanting this cake that's sitting in front of him. So he's looking at the cake. Everybody's in the office. There's, they're having a party. And he takes a piece of the cake and he holds it. And he's like, no. And he throws it away. He's like, no. And he looks at the cake and he grabs another piece. And he goes, no. <laughs> and he throws it away. And sooner or later, half the cake is gone because he keeps doing this. Thing, and he ends up running out of the room. Because willpower just isn't enough at times. It doesn't change us at a heart level. Divine power, on the other hand, is a power that belongs to deity. Even more specifically, according to this verse, God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the word for power in this verse is dunamis, and it means achieving power. So a power that can actually do something. It's the power that can speak light into existence. It's the power that can heal a blind man in an instant. It is the power that can raise a dead man back to life. It is the power 
that can actually make me be a nice person at times. It's an achieving power. So essentially what Peter is saying here is that through Jesus, ordinary people can receive power to do extraordinary things, to be and to live a life that is very unnatural to our fallen and corrupt nature. It is by and through this achieving God power that he gives as a free gift everything that we need to live a full and abundant life. That's what that life, when he speaks of life, it is abundant life. And it's only accomplished through relationship with him. Verse 4. By these, he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. So what is a promise? A declaration to do something with the implication of obligation to carry out what you said you would do. So there are... 8,810 promises in the Bible. 7,487 of those promises are from God to man specifically. Man meaning mankind. Frederick Willem Krumacher said, God's promises are virtually obligations that he imposes upon himself. Obligations, that means he has to do them. Through these promises, so forgiveness of sins, Holy Spirit, that means he's our comforter, he's the teacher of all things, he is the reminder of all things, eternal life, grace upon grace, new mercies every morning, by his stripes I am healed. These promises we share in a new nature. It's no longer churning up the muck and the mire all the time. That is good news. <laughs> that is grace. Uh, the word morphu, where we get our word morph. Did anybody grow up during Power Ranger times? Yes. Right? What was that saying? Like, mighty morphin power team. It's time to morph. Okay. That whole concept, that whole concept means the inward and real formation of the essential nature of a person. So morphine means to actually become who you were really supposed to be. You're morphine. They were morphine, right? They had these special powers, and when they morphed, they would become who they were supposed to be. When morphine or transformation happens, I'm going back to my... God-given nature, what he intended in the garden. I don't just do the right things Jesus would have done. I find myself wanting to do them. Like they actually appeal to me. They make sense. It's, it's no longer a fight. I mean, we're in the process of that right now, but it's not a fight. So, Based upon these very great and precious promises, for this reason, 
Second Peter verse five. For this very reason, make every effort to su- to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self control, self control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. This is where it gets fun. For this very reason, make every effort. So we are given everything that we need. Oh, can you hand me that that little white card? I'll grab it. Um, So we are given everything that we need. But effort is required on our part. Spurgeon said, God sends every bird his food, but he doesn't throw it in the nest. I love that. So I have some examples for you. These are really hard to see, but hopefully you can see them. And I can pass it around. So up here, that is a mustard seed. Did you know you can grow mustard? And the one below here is a wheat berry or a wheat kernel. Let me tell you about this wheat berry. Wheat berries are a complete package of health benefits because they are such a nutrient-dense food. A half a cup of unadulterated wheat berries, meaning that they haven't been zapped of all their nutrients through the refining process, half a cup of these is extremely high in protein and fiber, as well as being rich in vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, and phytochemicals. So there's a lot of good things in this little berry that would benefit my body. But the grain needs to be acted upon in order for me to receive those nutrients. So am I going to get anything from this berry if I don't actually break it open and eat it? No. Everything that's at my fingertips stays in this kernel until it's acted upon. Mustard seed. Jesus talks about the mustard seed. He said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed... You can say to this mountain, go from here to there, and it will be moved. Nothing will be impossible for you. Faith, do you see how small, can you see this, guys? I know, because it's so small. (laughs) Exactly. Let me pass that to Jason so he can see it. It's so small. But if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, like... You can move mountains, but it has to be what? Acted upon. I have a Meyer lemon tree. I, I really, I have a love-hate relationship with it. I love it so much, but it, it doesn't produce like I want it to. It's constantly, I'm constantly fighting with it. I can let it sit and do its thing and be on its own, right? Or I can supplement it with water. I can supplement it with extra food, with fertilizer. I can supplement it with a little spray called neem oil so that the pests stay off of its leaves. I have to do something. I have to supplement it in order to get the kind of growth that I want it to have. Why would it be any different with our spiritual lives? Why would it be any different with our spiritual growth? So before we dive into these efforts, these virtues, these spiritual disciplines, there are a few things I do want to note. So we are all on the same page, okay? 
Number one, the temptation is to turn these into rules, to mandate our lives into being more like Christ. The problem with this is that in that process, we stop believing in the power of Jesus. The scripture is very clear. It is only through his divine power that this change occurs. It's us relying on the spirit. Number two, spiritual disciplines are not about trying to be good enough to merit God's forgiveness and goodwill. You already have that. You are forgiven. Nor are they ways to get extra credit or to demonstrate to God how deeply we are committed to him. They exist for our sake, not for God's. They have value only insofar as they help transform us. What is the point of reading your Bible every day if it's not transforming you? Number three. Spiritual growth cannot be reduced to activities. Every moment of life is an opportunity to learn from God how to live like Jesus. That is, that is the gift of our lives. Number four, spiritual disciplines are simply a means of appropriating or growing toward the life that God graciously offers. Okay. So make every effort. That means to bend all your energy to the task. All your energy. So let's talk about discipline. <laughs> discipline is any activity I can do by direct effort that I was not able to do by direct effort prior. So spiritual transformation is not a matter of trying harder, but of training wisely. We had a rousing conversation in GC this week, brought to us by the lovely Mackenzie. Mackenzie, wave your hand. <laughs> we literally spent a good 20 minutes talking about this deep theological question. The question was posed. <laughs> I'm going to do it, Zach. The question was posed. If you were asked, if you were given a million dollars, but you were told that you would be attacked by a gorilla within the time that you got the million dollars and 30 years, and you would be badly injured, would you take the million dollars? <laughs> we legit talked about this for a good 20 minutes. And the first thing that a lot of us asked, one of the very first questions that most of us asked was, can we change the outcome? Can we become, can we train to defeat gorillas? <laughs> like, is this an option? <laughs> and I thought that was fascinating. Like, we all understood that in order to keep our lives <laughs> and to keep the money, there would have to be some type of training involved. Like, we couldn't just do it the way we are right now. Spiritual transformation requires training. So what's a good gauge to tell if you are trying or training? Consistency. If you are actually consistent in something, 
That means that you, you're committed and you do it over and over and over again. You're training. Playing guitar. I wanted to learn to play guitar when I was in high school. I tried. I wasn't great at it right away, and I got angry about that and stopped playing. And as the years went on, I'm like, this is silly. I need a guitar. I need to know how to play guitar. I want to know how to play guitar. I lead worship. That would just make life just a hundred times easier. I love to write music. I need to know how to play guitar. What did I have to do? I had to train. I can't just pick up a guitar and start playing. Your fingers start... Has anybody tried doing that? Like, pick up a guitar and start playing for, let's say, 20 minutes? Your fingers are going to throb. They might turn black if you're anemic, like me. It requires training. Running a marathon. If I signed up for a marathon and just tried, there's no way I could complete a marathon. I have to be able to train. We must approach our spiritual formation, which is a fancy way of saying learning to think, feel, and act like Jesus in the same way. We have to train. So I have a question for you. At what do you work hardest? What do you work hardest at? Right now, I'm working really hard at learning how to make sourdough bread. I spend a lot of hours doing that. Honestly, like probably more hours than I spend trying to train for my spiritual formation. So for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. That word supplement, the literal translation is super add in. Super add in. These supplementations are a gift of grace because they constantly beckon us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. They're not, they're not something we have to live up to. Like It's a grace. Supplement your faith with goodness is the first one. Other translations state this as virtue or moral excellence. And it's referring to the fulfillment of one's purpose with courage. So it's actually, it, it means both things. Fulfillment of one's purpose and courage. And they're not separated. So a piece of fertile land would be considered virtuous. It's fulfilling its purpose. It has all the necessary nutrients for you to grow lavishly anything that you want. Augustine wrote that virtue is a well-ordered love. That means we are called to do nothing less than to experience day by day life together with Christ. Colossians 2, 6 through 7 says, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, overflowing with gratitude. So is everything that we are doing coming under the lordship of Christ? Him in the ordinariness of our days. 
So for right now, like right now, in my life, he has been teaching me. I've been asking him to teach me how to hear his voice. Not just in like the moments that are easier for me to hear from him, but in the moments that I have a harder time hearing from him. So usually like in the thick of my days. And he's been showing me the ways in which he's speaking to me about the little things like chicken. So I was thawing chicken. I took it from the freezer and I was really proud of myself because I thought about it ahead of time. So the day before it went in the fridge so it would be ready the next day. And I heard a little voice say, Andrea, you should put that in a dish so chicken juice doesn't go all over your refrigerator. And I said to that little voice, that's ridiculous. This is vacuum packed. We're fine. And I put it in my refrigerator. And the next morning, I opened the refrigerator. And guess what was all over my fridge? Chicken juice. Everywhere. <laughs> it was primal pastures. I'm so sorry. It was. <laughs> But the chicken's really good, so it's worth it. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit, like, he quickened, and he was like, Andrea, I care about the chicken juice. Like, I want to help you in your days. It's not just for the super spiritual things. It's not just for, like, the big decisions. It's not for when you are struggling, like, with anger, like, what impatience with the kids. Like, I want to help you with the chicken juice. Is everything coming under his lordship? Something that has helped me hone in on this a little bit more is asking the question, where do you see him? I will end my day in bed and ask myself, where did you see him today? Like, where are the moments where he was at where I may have missed it? Where do you see him? That is going to foster a well-ordered love. That's going to foster goodness, like his goodness. The fulfillment of my purpose, which is to love him. Okay. Supplement. Now, goodness with knowledge. So we had supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge. This is one of my favorites. Knowledge is spiritual understanding. So experiential knowledge, which involves both an understanding of the truth and the application of the truth. Richard Foster says the mind will always take on an order, conforming to the order upon which it concentrates. So what does that mean? You become what you think about. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. You cannot be transformed without his truth. You can't. The Bible is indispensable for the task of transformation. I remember telling somebody telling me this um, when I was in the thick of really young kids. 
uh, my kids are a year apart each. So I had, at the time, I think two, three, and four-year-olds. And somebody said, how are you doing with reading your Bible? Like, do you see my life? I don't have time to read my Bible every day. And she looked at me and said, you're not going to be able to go very long without God's word. You need to make space for that. And I walked away so angry. Like legitimately, I was angry. I'm like, there was no grace there. Do you see like, I'm exhausted. When would I have time to do this? John Ortberg said, our season of life, whatever it is, is no barrier to having Christ formed in us. Whatever our season of life, it offers its own opportunities and challenges for spiritual growth. Instead of wishing we were in another season, we ought to find out what this one offers. Every moment is potentially an opportunity to be guided by God into his way of living. Every moment is a chance to learn from Jesus how to live in the kingdom of God. And you know what that season taught me was, yes, I didn't have a lot of time. But it like unearthed this desire of like, I don't have the time, but God, I need you. Like, this is hard. And so I would slip in little devotionals like, while I was in the restroom with little hands coming in under the door, like, what are you doing? And I'd be like, I can only give five minutes today, and that's okay. And then that turned into everybody actually napping at the same time, and then taking up an hour to spend with Jesus while everybody napped. And when napping went away, I grieved that for a really long time. But our season of life, like, these, these do not impose on our season of life. Like, they transform our season of life. Like, he's with us in those seasons, whatever that may look like. So ask him. The mind is renewed by applying it to those things that transform it. So there's two ways to read scripture. There's meditation and there's Bible study. Meditation literally implies sustained attention. So it's reading small passages intentionally and slowly, asking God what he wants to speak to you. It's built around the simple principle of what the mind repeats, it retains. Success is not measured by the number of pages read. Okay, so for example, I I use a lot of gardening, I'm sorry. Because this is, I relate to it. So a drip system in my garden. You can water overhead with a hose. And you can apply that, doing it that way, you can apply a gallon of water in maybe, I don't know, a minute. But what does it do? It just, it seeps through really quickly. The soil doesn't have time to like actually grab out and grab what it needs from the water because it's getting through it so quickly. A drip system, on the other hand, is purposeful and only allowing a small amount of water at a time. So for a half gallon of water to get to my garden beds is going to take an hour compared to a minute. 
That gives the soil time to absorb from the water all the nutrients it needs before everything gets leached out and pressurized. Meditation is the exact same thing. It's giving ourselves time to actually take out what we need to take out, to retain what needs to be retained before it all flushes out. Hymns and songs are a great way to do this. Aside from God's word, hymn and songs, because they will pop up without you even trying. Um, what was I singing this morning? When you ask it, reach out your hand, talk to the Lord. I was just singing that to myself. It just popped in my head because I was really nervous about this morning. And I'm like, right, I need to talk to Jesus. Or there's another one. Um, Jesus' blood has never failed me yet. It's never failed me yet. Jesus' blood has never failed me yet. This one thing I know, that he loves me so, Jesus' blood has never failed me yet. I sing that pretty often. Recall these things. It is the process of transforming and receiving who he says you are. Bible study. So that's reading larger sections of scripture for context and greater understanding. So last summer we did, we read through the New Testament together. I loved that. It was a lot. But I loved it because it gave me a greater understanding of the New Testament. It was needful. These are small bites. Think of these as small bites, big bites. So when you take a small bite of something and like really... Think about what you're chewing. You kind of pick up flavors that you wouldn't have had before. Like when I go to a new restaurant and I try something and I really like it, I eat slower because I'm like, okay, so what is this? They put cinnamon in this. That's so weird. Why would they put cinnamon in this? And I start to like try and figure out like what flavors are they using? Other times I'm just starving in big bites because I just need to be fed. One is not better than the other. Both are required. And it's the same for the Bible. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. My question for you is, how do you best process information? How do you learn best? This is going to be very helpful in the way that you study scripture. I have to, I'm a highlighter and I take notes. I rarely go back to my notes, very rarely. So why do I even take notes? Because I learn best by hearing and seeing at the same time. That's just how I'm wired. My daughter learns best by just hearing. So Audible books would be perfect for her because she can retain by just hearing. I can't. I have to have a visual. How do you learn best? Apply that into how you read the Bible, how you study. Um, okay. Knowledge with self-control. So we're going to supplement self-control. 
Self-control is obedience. It's discipline. It's putting into action the truths that you have been putting into your mind and your heart. Leighton Ford said, We refuse to surrender our control because deep down we think we have to justify our existence rather than be justified by the free grace of God. So recently, a couple weeks ago, um, I was having a text conversation with Jackie. And she was asking me how my week was. And I said, honestly, like, it's been, it's been a hard week. And I was telling her all the reasons why it was a hard week. And she came back with, how do weeks like that affect your control idol? <laughs> right? And I said, I'm going to have to get back to you, Jackie. <laughs> I don't have an answer for you right now. But the more that I was thinking about it, I was, I was reading through, I was actually studying for this at the time, and I came across this quote. So Jackie, this is my answer, and everybody else, you may listen. <laughs> when I am overtired, it is usually because I have tried to do it all myself, and I have not trusted God's strength fully enough. When I am apathetic or making my way towards despair, I have not trusted in his grace enough. When I am anxious, I am not trusted in his goodness or power enough. When I am afraid, especially of failure, I am not trusted in his love enough. More often than not, I find that my lack of self-control is rooted in my lack of trust. Galatians 5.16 says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. I'm going to say that's one of those 7,000 promises. Walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. So the believer manifests self-control on the outside because they have chosen to yield to the Spirit's control on the inside. Listening to the Spirit when he tells you to put the chicken in a pan. Supplement then self-control with endurance. Endurance is steadfastness, it's constancy, it's patience. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, that means trials of all kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. There is that, that sense of virtue again. You're fulfilling your purpose. That root word for endurance is hupomone, which means to remain under some discipline, subjecting oneself to something which demands the submission of one's will when everything in you naturally wants to rebel. It portrays a picture of steadfastly and unflinchingly bearing up under a heavy load and describes that quality of character which does not allow one to surrender to circumstances or succumb under trial. That's hard. When our minds have been captivated by Jesus, and our lives have been influenced by the Spirit, it gives us the ability to endure, to withstand pressure, 
to not go under in the midst of suffering, to hope. Endurance is a willingness to endure pain for the sake of healing. So that's grief, right? I'm going to willingly step into this place that I don't want to go because it hurts still. I'm willingly going to endure this because I know there's healing on the other side. It's a willingness to endure stretching, pulling, and molding for the sake of growth. This passage made me very uncomfortable. He t- I've been praying for months. Two months he gave me this passage and I was like, nope, I'm not teaching on that. I don't think that was you. So I went searching for other themes and other passages for the last two months. And here we are two weeks before I'm supposed to preach. I'm like, I don't have anything. He's like, I gave you something. A willingness to endure. A willingness to endure through doubt. Like not throwing in the towel because you're having a hard time believing or questioning. Like persevering through doubt. A willingness to endure through loneliness. A willingness to endure through unanswered prayer. It's not perfect faith. It's a determination to hang on. To keep running. That is endurance. And the reason we can trust God is because he understands what it is to walk in darkness. One message from the cross is that God chooses not to stand apart from suffering. Thank God. He is with us so we can endure. And then supplement endurance with godliness. So godliness is a well-worship. It's well-pleasing to him. It's reverent wonder. It's a practical awareness of God in every aspect of life, which results in gratitude and wonder. I have one note here for this. Slow your roll. Slow your roll. There's so much that we don't see because we're, we're going so quickly. This morning, um, we had my nieces spend the night last night. So they were over this morning, and it was quite loud downstairs. So I put in my AirPod Pros. Has anybody experienced those? They're noise-canceling. It's a gift from God. Even if you don't listen to music, I still put them in just so I could kind of have a moment. But I could still hear things, you know, off in the distance. So I'm like, oh, these aren't, I should probably play music. They're not really doing what I thought that they would do. And I took them out, and it was a rush of life coming at me. So I put them back in. But it made me think, like, I don't think I realize how much noise is around me all the time. Like, I could actually hear my breathing when I had those in. Do you ever listen for your breathing? It, it calms you. It made me think of Mary at the feet of Jesus, and he told her, only one thing is needed. Only one thing is needful. Godliness brings the sanctifying presence of God into all the experiences of life. Again, like, God, where are you in this moment? 
1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8 said, Train yourself in godliness, for the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Why? Because it keeps your eyes on the eternal. Like, it keeps your eyes off of just this temporal that's going to go away anyways. Then supplement godliness with brotherly affection. Brotherly affection, I'm moving fast because we're running out of time. Brotherly affection is the love believers possess for another, despite their differences. Henry Nouwen said, Isn't that what friendship is all about? Giving to each other the gift of our belovedness? Deep friendship is a calling forth of each other's chosenness and a mutual affirmation of being precious in God's eyes. It's a fervent and practical caring for one another. In order to be able to show family-like affection, though, you have to be willing to put yourself in a relational position. You cannot show brotherly affection if you are constantly not with people. It must be cultivated, for it entails difficult duties such as a willingness to bear one another's burdens and to forgive shortcomings and failures, which leads us to supplementing brotherly affection with love. And this is no ordinary love. This is agape, unconditional, sacrificial love. The Spirit alone can birth in us something that is not natural to the human heart, which is agape love. We can only give such love when Christ is free to work his own love in and through us. Agape is God's love, and it's the love that God is. It's divine love commanded by God, Produced as fruit in the heart of a surrendered believer by the Holy Spirit. So it's the Holy Spirit working that love within us. It is self-sacrificial in nature, seeking the benefit of the one who is loved. Listen to that. Seeking the benefit of the one who is loved. And it's a love that which means death to self, defeat for sin, and it's activated by personal choice of our will. Why do we need to supplement with this kind of love? Because we are no longer ours. We are now to live for Jesus, which means living for others. Henry Nouwen, so that all we live finds its final significance in being lived for others. And this is a joy. It's a joy. Let's wrap up. The end of 2 Peter, starting in verse 8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. When you keep grace at the forefront... You cannot help to overflow with grace. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort. You have a part 
Make every effort to confirm your calling and election. If you have questions about that, you can talk to them in here. Because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth that you have now. And honestly, that is where I landed when I finally obeyed the Lord about this passage. It was that verse. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth you now have. We need to be reminded over and over and over and over again. It's a lifelong habit of pursuing Jesus of pursuing holiness. Direction, not perfection, is the point. Direction, not perfection, is the point. It is making up your mind and making every effort to live with Jesus. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things. Thank you, Jesus. All right, let's pray. Uh, Father, I think what I'm most struck by this morning is that in the past, this list, like this particular section of Scripture... I still came at it with like, do more, do better. And that is the opposite of your invitation. Really what you are saying is like, receive me, receive my grace and enjoy it. And as we give ourselves over to receiving from you. The byproduct is this wanting to do these things. It's wanting to have a Meyer lemon tree that is full of fruit. So I ask, Spirit, that you would work these things in us. I ask that any spirit of condemnation would be broken in this moment. Um, Somebody shared with me this morning a picture of a forest. Uh, They're really like, it's like, like just tangled up in this forest. And then once you got through the forest, it opened up into this gorgeous valley that was beaming with like vibrant colors. So oftentimes, Lord, I feel like we get stuck in the forest and we feel like we can't, we can't see a way out. Like we can't look up. We can't look forward. We can't look backwards. This is an invitation to the way out, an invitation into an abundant life with you. So spirit, do that work in us. 
Show us the ways in which we can apply effort to train wisely. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Andrea. Really profound stuff. I'm gonna ask you to stand if you're able. Really quick, can I, D, can I keep them in the room for three minutes? Is that okay? Youth, I really want your attention for like three minutes and then, and then you guys can go do your thing, okay? I'm so glad that you're here. Um, direction, not perfection is the point. <clears throat> Some of you this morning, you needed to hear that because you've been feeling really crummy because of the lack of perfection in your life. And God's way more concerned about the long game. He's more concerned with this. I'm going to ask you a question. And I feel like the spirit just keeps asking me and keeps probing me with. It just kept jumping out as Andrew was preaching. And it's this. Who are you becoming? Not what. Who are you becoming? Youth, this is why I wanted you in the room. Hear me. Listen to me. Give me your eyes. I'm going to ask you a question, and it might be the most important question you hear for a really long time. Who are you becoming? Listen to me. Do you have, like, vision for your life? Right now, you're sitting there in the youth section, which is awesome. Someday, you're going to sit over here. And it might not be here in Temecula. It might be some other country some other state, some other city, doing some other thing. That's great. Who are you becoming? Do you have vision for your life? Because I can tell you something. There's going to be all sorts of sources that come at you that want to sell you on a vision for your life. Where the who that you become is something less than who God created you to be. Do you have vision for your life? God has a vision for your life. And it's not just you, youth. I'm not picking on anybody in the room. It's me. It's every adult in this space. Do you have vision for your life? Because God does, and it requires your partnership. It requires your effort. It requires your attention. And it requires your energy and your resources. I love the illustrations he used with the seed. Everything that you need is available to you. But it's up to you and I to access it, to engage with it. The gospel, I've heard it said, the gospel is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort. Who are you becoming? It's the question of the hour, friend. That's what matters. That's what matters. So here's what I feel led by the Spirit to do for each of us this morning. And I'm talking all of us. And maybe this can uh, uh, jumpstart your guys' conversation uh, for youth. Who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? I think we need to reflect on that. Are you becoming a person who is compassionate and kind and who, who gives other people the benefit of the doubt? Or... Are you becoming a, a person who's critical and condemning of people different than you who don't maybe have the same life experience or see, this, see, see life the same way? 
What are you becoming? The goal of this whole thing, of this Christian thing, is to become like him. Is to become like Jesus. Full of love and truth and justice and mercy and beauty and hear me, glory. That's God's plan for your life. That's his vision for your life. And it's going to look really diverse and really different, but common. Who are you becoming? I think we need to reflect on that, man. I think this is like a serious moment where you have the choice of where you can actually kind of get cool going through the motions of being in a church gathering and here, this is the time when the band comes. And so I'll kind of mouth the words to the songs that'll be up on the screen and maybe I'll close my eyes and pray. Or she told you the difference between meditating and like big chunk reading, right? Maybe you just stir over this one. Maybe we can just fill this space with truth songs and hymns and spiritual songs. And maybe just maybe God's presence really is with us. And maybe just maybe he'll speak to you as his beloved child for whom he's given everything, all of himself, so that you would be formed more and more and more into his likeness. Who are you becoming? I think we need to be introduced to ourselves this morning. I think we need to let God be the one to guide us. So that's what we're going to do encourage you. Would you just consider that for a second? Young, old, inexperienced, seasoned, non-Christian, new Christian, 50-year Christian, every single one of us in the room actually giving attention to the reality of life. Who are you becoming? Let me pray for us, and then let's just give ourselves over to that. You guys, will you serve us and bless us, huh? Holy Spirit, we invite you now. We invite you now. We open our hearts to you now. Help us see. Help us to see who we're becoming and how that's in alignment with your kingdom or how it's not in alignment with your kingdom. And I'm so grateful, Jesus. You bled and died so that we might repent. We might, be, we might have the path to turn around and to come to you once again. That's my prayer for all of us. That's my prayer for me. Good God, do I need you every moment of every day. Form me. Form us. Into your likeness. Who we were truly meant to be. We love you, Jesus. Minister to us now, Holy Spirit. Amen. There's going to be trusted men and women off to the side that are available for prayer. You can go receive prayer at any time. Band's going to minister to us. I encourage you, man. I told you there's a gift for you this morning. There's a gift for you this morning from the giver. Will you receive it is the question. highlighting a couple things before we close this morning. Why don't you go ahead and take a seat? Who are you becoming? Eric, will you come up and yeah.
terms of uh, who we're becoming, I've been having this thought pretty much all morning that there are things that get in the way of our development. And the picture I have is of God as a gardener, which is actually, a, Jesus calls God that, a gardener, in John. And here's the thing. God is a gardener, which I think is a really striking uh, word picture. But, but there's a problem. So plants have what? They have roots, right? And we have what? We have legs. Is that a bit of a design defect? I'm not, I don't think it is, but he gave us legs, which means that we can, we can walk away. So here's my, my point in saying this. God is a gardener, but he's given us legs. So we have a choice as to whether we root. And as I was thinking about this morning, and this is really something that I don't want you to think about this like individually, individualistically. I want you to think this corporately. You don't know when you are starting to wander and drift or pull back. So we have an opportunity as a community to have each other's backs. When you see someone pulling back, like, you can lovingly move towards that person. We got a few things. Pulling back is one, one way that we get uprooted. We pull back. We start to pretend like everything is fine. We go the Ned Flanders route. Everything cool? Everything's great. Everything is awesome, except everything is falling apart. I'm on fire. So pulling back, pretending, obviously performing is a huge, huge temptation as well. And I'm alliterating this, yes. I'm going to make it easy for you to remember if you write it down. Pull back, pretending, performing. Or here's one that's really hard to notice when it's with what's happening in us, putting other people down, like making ourselves the judge of others or pretending like we have to be the ones to put other people right. All of these things are ways in which we don't experience the development that God has for us because he's a gardener. He wants to be rooted. These are ways that we walk away. So I don't see these, I don't see this to like freak you out. I actually just want us to get, to become wise as a community so that we can have each other's backs. Of when these things are happening, we know, oh, there's probably stress, strain, pressure, problems that are happening, and this is actually time to press in, not to pull back, because that's the only way that we're actually gonna grow and develop as disciples. Okay, for the sake of time, I'm just gonna share one more thing with you. Who are you becoming? Who are we becoming? Who are we becoming corporately, communally? Is the youth right there? Will you check for me, please? I actually don't want to say something in front of them. They are perfect. <laughs> Dang it. Okay. To be continued. Because I love them. Um, let me just say this. Who you are not what you are, who you are. It has a direct effect on the people around you. Again, you, there's so much purpose on your life. I don't say that to condemn you because I'm looking around the room at a bunch of people who are just as imperfect as I am, right? It's like, oh my gosh, like I'm not always a benefit to the people around me. I'm, I'm sinful and I'm selfish. And, 
But I say that because you need to know that you have dignity, you have worth, you have such an important purpose. The who that God created you to be, it affects, there's ripple effects, it affects the people around you. So when I ask the question, who are we becoming? I say that with intentionality because we're connected. We're connected. And hear me, if we're not growing, even in, again, it's not perfection like Dre said, it's, it's the direction, right? Slow progression in one direction, right? That's the goal. If we're not growing, we're, we're just expiring. It's not living. It's not life. That certainly isn't the abundant life that Jesus offers us and promises us. So one more question for you. Where might the Spirit of God be leading you to take some action, to act, to make a decision? Maybe there's certain things that you need to stop. Maybe there's some things that you've been running to that are letting you down over and over and over again. Maybe there's some things that you've been running to, that you've been looking to, that you've been turning to that are actually forming you into the person that you know you weren't created to be. The blood of Jesus, the grace of God, his mercy, his invitation, his offer is to turn, to repent, to receive forgiveness and goodness and grace and be reconciled to God and reconciled to each other so that we collection of individuals can become who he's made us to be. You can't do that by yourself. And you're sitting in a room right now with people who desperately need you. They need your support, your encouragement. They need your worship. They need to see you offering, they need to see you um, expressing God's worth back to him. Who you are matters. Who you're becoming matters who we are becoming matters. It doesn't affect just this room. It affects the world. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I pray for anybody in this room who right now is feeling like guilt or shame for the things that they've been running to, for the things they've been looking to, to produce some form of satisfaction in their life that's just not really working. I pray that um, if they're believing any lies of condemnation, that you would lift that now in Jesus' name and remind them that they're fearfully and wonderfully made and that your arms are wide open. You're compassionate. Great is your faithfulness, even and especially to the unfaithful like me. Lord, we desire your kingdom. That's what we want, your way. Your way will produce in us and through us an eternal fruit, imperishable. That's what we want. Cultivate us, develop us, change us, transform us, lead us into how we can partner with you by taking action, not earning, but effort. We love you, Jesus, so much. And I pray these things in your holy and beautiful name. Amen. All right, friends, love you dearly. Um, 
we're right at noon, it looks like. So if you would, maybe make your way to get your kids if you need to. Um, if you're on the ministry team, can you maybe just linger back a little bit? If anybody else needs prayer, that'll be available as well. Soft clothes, you can hang and um, just know that you're loved, okay? God bless you.